0: Hey, good day there, fellow humans. Mark LeBusk here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. My guest today, how I best describe this amazing human being, is a human being who's showing up consciously every day. And uh, it's Robin Rice, who's based in Lisbon in Portugal. I met Robin about six months ago on a, um, again, I've talked about this before, bravo to uh, good old Richard and Oscar for what they set up, COVID times, the drinking dialogues, and just had such an impact on me. Three words she said at the time, certainty is death. We're going to explore that today, but a whole lot of other things because um, this is only my second conversation with Robin, but I have, again, had a real education and um, there's something, I'm feeling something, as Robin said as well, there's feeling something that this connection should should have happened for a reason. Have a listen, take some notes, be blown away like I was, and uh, we'll catch you at the end. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LeBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Robin Rice, thanks for joining me today on the podcast.
1: I'm excited. Thank you.
0: I always like to start with first impressions and we've only met once and it was about six months ago. So I always give my... I guess the chance to go first, your first impressions of me and I'm going to share mine with you if that's okay.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I think the first thing that I noticed about you was that you were really interested in the complex answers, not the simple ones that you got really excited about the fact that, you know, we were talking about things that weren't easily solved and three bullet points and that sort of thing. And that, that intrigued me about you.
0: Excellent. Geez, that's um. I'm going to have to change the name of my podcast from Simply Practically Human then. Um, but thank you. I um. I've got a few words here. Curious. Your curiosity was amazing. Honest. Bold. Just your bold nature of just. I'm just going to say what I think. But I know coming from a place of really great intention and um and wise were the things when I got off the. The drinking dialogue session with you that time, I'm like, oh, I need to have more conversations because I was, my curiosity was off the charts. So, I love it when I find human beings like that, and then to have a bit of a, um, a look into your background. And you know, there's there's the author of ten books, and there's some really interesting mentoring you're doing now with senior leaders in the AI space, which I'd love to touch on as well. But the thing that really stood out for me on the day or on the night that you were talking, there were three words you said, and I've written them down, and they're still next to my computer here from six months ago. Certainty is death. And I had a bit of a moment of like, oh, wow, I need to know more about that. So we're going to dig into the topic of certainty today and and sort of what that means. But I want to start with the human, if we could, Robin, and get you just to share a bit with the listeners about your background and your backstory and, you know, anything you'd like to share that can let us in on the human being?
1: Yeah. I'm actually in the process of working on uh, what is part memoir and uh, another book that is part memoir. And so I've been thinking a lot about my history and thinking about where I came from and writing about it, uh, which is something I never really wanted to do. But I think, What might be helpful here is that I feel like I had an incredibly rich and difficult human experience early in life. It didn't allow me the opportunity to skim the surface. It just wasn't possible. And so that came through the difficulty of um, several people dying very young in my life, uh, unexpectedly and and strangely, young children that were friends of mine. And then also other experiences. And then just always having been a person who really thought deeply from as young as I can remember, just always interested in the bigger nature of things and what is this really about in life and all of that. So um, that's more of an essence level. I mean, I can tell you things that happened, but if we're gonna be simply practically human, and by the way, I love being practical. I'm, you know, pie in the sky, but let's bring it down and make it, you know, actionable and usable, that that's what I would bring to you.
0: Thank you. And um, I appreciate you sharing that, that ability or the intuition, whatever it was to think really deeply at a young age. Have you reflected on that at all in, in hindsight? What, what do you think was, was driving that?
1: Well, again, I think I had three deaths very close to each other okay. um, in my life. And so, I mean, starting at five, you know, at five, my favorite babysitter was pushed out of a car and killed. And at nine, my two best friends died within a month of each other, the second one from coming from my house to the hospital. So, you know, those kinds of things just throw you for a loop in that. But I also think there's something deeper going on. I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was probably about 10 or 11, and we used to play a card game together. That was our thing that we did. And I said to him, I said, Dad, I said, I think maybe. I can't prove that you're actually alive. I can prove I'm alive because I know I'm alive to me, but I don't know for sure if anyone else is. And my dad, you know, said, and I, I grew up in a very um, Midwest, not, not a lot of education, not a lot of exposure to different thoughts. And, and he said, how did you think of that? That's like the thoughts of philosophers. How did you think of that? And I said, well, how does anybody think of anything? Yeah. So that just tells you the nature of. I think it was just built into me somehow.
0: Thanks for sharing. It's interesting. I remember being on. I was on a train with my daughter. She was would have been about twelve or thirteen at the time. We were on the Rocky Mountain here, and we were standing at the back, and she she asked me this question, which I thought I'd never thought of that. She goes, "What do you think birds think about?" Uh Huh? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know, eating and other bits, but I. I just wondered where it came from, where, where where people can get to that point where they think more deeply, and maybe it's because of events that we we face into. And, and I, I guess with what you've shared is that when we get to this topic of certainty, it must have had some impacts there. And you know, you those three words that you said that like certainty is death. I've got a quote here that I'm looking at that says, "Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd." Hmm. I've thought about that a bit, and so thought there is something about us that we are chasing certainty all the time. We're human beings. I'm not quite sure why. We'll get to that in a minute. But what do you mean by certainty is death?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things that just sort of rolled off of my tongue in that conversation, I remember. I think it's actually true because the minute you're certain, you've just narrowed all possibility to the smallest set of events and it's not actually going to be true anyway right you can't be certain and yes my childhood did bring that out in me is this you know i can't be certain someone's going to be alive tomorrow that's a pretty great uncertainty but more importantly the minute we narrow in we're no longer open new things can't happen if they do happen we won't see them we will keep to what we think which is always going to be limited. One person's thoughts is always going to be limited. And so to me, you might as well be checked out. You might as well be dead. You might as well be done. If if you're going to live a life of certainty, uh, at least for me, and, you know, might be a judgment, I don't know, but I'm not interested. I'm just not interested in that person.
0: I like that. So let's talk about the person or the human being then, because there is a bit of a sense for me, and I think I've been afflicted by this as well, but my sense now is I've got a little bit older that I can sit okay with not knowing. Sometimes people mm. get freaked out by that. They're like, what do you not know that about your business? And they go, because I just don't, and it's and it's yeah. okay. It's like it's okay. But why is it that human beings, if we think now a little bit more in the workplace here, think about the hierarchies and all the things that go in there, but why is it that humans want to be certain about pretty much everything that they're involved in,
1: well, I mean I think that's what's been rewarded if you you know if if you know where we're going and we all know we don't, then you're the leader you get to go <laughs> yeah great you've got you've got an idea you're willing to take the risk, you're willing to put it out there you're willing to give us direction let's let's follow and so not knowing that is culturally saying, I- I'm not the leader yeah i I don't know anything and that's a kind of a professional suicide.
0: Yeah, and, um, and those three words I think that aren't used very often by by the leaders in organisations is I don't know. Right. I try to encourage people to put them into your leadership toolkit and they're like, well, that's counterintuitive to what leadership is because I'm supposed to know the direction and I'm always like the GPS and I go, well, say it every now and again and then take the opportunity to sit back and notice the response in the room. Yeah. I think they'll will see a different response if they're prepared to look for it, which will be more about vulnerability than than leadership.
1: Well that's a new kind of leadership, right? There's there's the old leadership where they're you're paid to know. And the more you know the the more you're paid, right? The more you can play this game without any chinks in the armor showing the more you're paid and you get, you know, all of that. But there's a new leadership that's emerging. And it's it's very valuable, but it's not yet completely adopted in in the culture. And that is the I don't know, the how do we figure this out together, the I'm a human being too. And we don't want our leaders to be human beings. We want them to be what we're not. We want someone to look up to. And that kind of spoils that.
0: Yeah. and And, and I'm just wondering then your thoughts on how much that is related to... I guess our desire to continue to promote people who are technically competent. So do the technical things well and you'll end up being in a leadership role but then you better know everything.
1: Right. Yes yeah, a setup it's a terrible setup. I mean I work with leaders. That part of it is really miserable because they have to feel like a fraud because they have entire areas of their life that they've neglected most of the time because that they've, they they've focused on the part that's being rewarded. And so if you ask them to be whole human beings in front of everyone else, though, that's tough, right? That's really hard to show up. And and we're in that in-between place where we're asking for more of that, but we're still going to vilify you if you've done something wrong. I mean, we we really crucify our leaders who make any misstep in public, especially. Yeah. And not only with their personhood, but with the stocks, literally the stocks will
0: fall. Yeah, I remember once being told that... Um, we like your results as in your financial results, Mark, but we don't particularly like the way you go about getting them. Mm. You don't look stressed enough. You seem to be having lots of conversations <laughs> with people in coffee shops and you smile a lot and sometimes you don't look like you're doing any work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, so basically they're saying we don't understand your methods, but, but your methods are working, right? So again, it needs to be very orderly and to be a little controversial here. It's very masculine. It's a very masculine way of being. And I love the masculine, you know, there's a great part of me that's masculine. So I love that spreadsheet. I love that order and all of that sort of thing, but chaos is kind of more the order of the day. And so if you can't handle chaos, you're kind of in trouble right now.
0: Yeah. Um, we have diaries and I think they're important and we have agendas and we have like, this is what I'm going to do for the day, but that's not the real world, is it? Things change during the day. I, 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 when, oh, I run, yeah. Yeah. when I run programs with people, they never get an agenda and they're like, where's the agenda? And I go, well, if you've got an agenda, you'll just bit part act it all the way through. If you have to be vulnerable at 9.30, that's what you'll be. And if you have to have a difficult conversation at 10, so how about you just don't know what's coming because then the human being can turn up. So you talked about the whole human before, and this, we're in this in-between space. What do you think it's going to take us, question without notice, what's, what's it going to take us to get from the in-between space into a more human-centric way of leading?
1: I mean, I think we can just count on nature to break it down. Everything changes. Everything constantly changes, and we're seeing it break down. Oh, there's a quote, chaos is how life drives innovation. Nice and so the chaos that is ensuing right now and you know again i'm a i'm a writer and i've written you know fiction as well so i know very well what chaos is supposed to do in a story it's going to mix everything up it's going to tell the reader we don't know where we're going anything could happen and and if it's predictable it's a genre that you don't even really want to read most likely so that chaos is is actually creating something in us that we're going to have to respond to And that response is taking us in this new direction. It's not like someone sat down and decided we would all be more human, right? We just, we saw the effects of not being human and said, well, that sucks. And then naturally started moving towards new things. And we will continue to do that. And there's always the chance too, that order will try to step in if it gets too chaotic. And then, you know, you have whatever police states or, you know, those kinds of things. And that is scary to go to that place. Certainly, history has shown us that that can happen too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what we've been through in the last four years, so there was a level, of, let's go back to early 2020, late 2019 with COVID, and that created chaos. And, and I wonder at times if, if the best comes out in human beings when they're thrown into a chaotic situation. Your thoughts on that?
1: I actually think it created incredible order. I mean, you've never seen cultures change so fast. It was remarkable how the culture, we've not had a shift like that in, I don't know how long, where we just changed on a dime. So to me, yes, it was chaotic, but boy, people and organizations just stepped in and reordered because they had to, right? So to me, I look at it and I say, yes, it was chaos, but wow, look at our capacity to respond. Look at, you know, how the government can find money out of nowhere yeah. to give everybody some money. Like, it was crazy. I thought it was, it's terrible, but it was exciting too.
0: Yeah. So so then I wonder this. So before that, we, are humans just happy to go along in what I call the practicing the skillful art of work avoidance? So saying that we're trying to change, but keeping things at a level playing field because it's easier I've been rewarded. I'm going to talk about the change we need to make in the organization, but really I'm going to change everything, but change nothing. Do you think we've sort of lived in that world until a COVID type situation turns up?
1: Yes. I think on the macro, that's what we did. And you can look at the micro of how people change. When your health is deteriorating, but then you finally get the diagnosis. When your relationship is deteriorating, and then you finally decide you're going to do something. People, I think they said that people who are entertaining divorce, entertain it for two years before they actually even tell their partner, (laughs) um, the first person who's entertaining it, right? So I think that's just human nature that we talk about change when we know it has to come. But if we're not uncomfortable and if we're not required, we'll do it as slowly as possible. And then when we're required, okay, boom, let's go.
0: Yeah. I know you do a lot of work and mentoring senior leaders in the space of AI. And, and I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I've been a bit frightened of AI, I've got to say. Um, and, and maybe because I go into my bad news filing cabinet in my head and think about all of the bad things that it can do. But recently I used it because I was trying to work out what I actually did in my business. So I asked it to tell me what Mark LaBus does in 200 words. Yes. And I've never read anything so succinct about what I do in like in like <laughs> nine back. years of like happy days. My, I guess my question is this is, and it's less like anything, it's about the intent that it's used for. How are you helping human beings to, to look at it more in a positive way than perhaps in, in a way where it's where there's a lot of uncertainty for them about what it's going to do and what it might impact upon them?
1: Yeah. So, um, obviously there's things that I can't talk about. And yeah. so, so instead of talking about how I work with others, I, I, let me just play it as though I'm working with you in yes. your uncertainty. So first of all, I did the same thing. I took all the quotes that my clients had given me and asked for chat to give me a, um, a product to sell. And, uh, and it was fascinating also and succinct and, and really on target. Um, I also once asked it to talk about me and it gave me like four book titles of books I've never actually written. So um, it's fascinating. First of all, I would say, one, you're not in control of this. You're not going to, you you do not have a strong enough voice as one person to change what's coming. So the question I ask you for inside of yourself is how do you handle external change that is not up to you? You're not. It's just like you know the iPhone we all resisted, or whatever phones we resisted. Some of us, <laughs> and I still don't. I I have a very tight policy on scrolling, uh, for myself personally because it sucks. It just it's a bad experience. So for you going into this change, what do you want it to change about you? What do you want it not to change about you? What do you want for if you have children, your children? looking at these and saying, this is how I am going to participate for the part that I do get a choice about. And then understanding again, that everything is uncertain right now. So the reality is, if you listen to all the podcasts, you listen to all the players right now, and all of them are talking in some form, um, you can listen to just about anybody in the the space here, whether that, you know, an agenda talk or not, but you can hear what they have to say. They don't know. What's coming next? Yeah. Exactly. And that is they're being honest about. We don't know. We don't know where the dangers are. And so now you turn to my storytelling side and I, my fiction writing side. And I say, well, we look at the stories we've been told. We look at the movies that we've watched, the books we've read. You know, if you're a sci-fi reader or not, all of those things. And we're coming up with basically what we're afraid of. What you're seeing in the zeitgeist out there right now is what we're afraid of. And very little about what we're hoping for. There's a little talk about, yeah, it could be great. So when you go in for yourself, what's your intuition? Is it going to be great? Is it going to be terrible? I mean, your genuine intuition, not your fears, not your hopes, not your fantasies. Just your your genuine, like, I know for me, I got excited about it. I saw possibility. But that's what I do in life. I see possibilities. <laughs> so it doesn't mean it'll go that way but it's a great indicator and looking at yourself of who you are in this. And it's a reflection. It's a way of looking at yourself and seeing, well, what do I think? What am I afraid of? Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely makes sense because I'm sort of replaying what went through my mind and the way I was feeling about it. And I think for me, it was shutting down on it going that I'm doing this work that's human and this is not human. So therefore you should not Entertain it, Mark. And that's where I was at. My sister was like, Hey, you can write your newsletters using Chat GPT. And I'm like, Over my dead body, we'll be doing that. Um, So I I sort of started at that space. And then it was like, Then I, then, then, you know, the fear was the fear of identity and the reputation of you're the human guy and you're using Chat GPT. No, Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't. So that's where I was coming from. And then you sort of sit there with yourself and you start to have conversations and go, I call it my bad and good news filing cabinet in my head. Get out of your bad news filing cabinet and pop over to your good news filing cabinet for a minute and then go, I wonder, and this is you know, the uncertainty, I wonder what good could come of this. And I tried some things and I was like, hello, hello, friend, hello, opportunity. And, right. But I started at a place, which I'm going to say, and this is going to sound a bit weird, but I started at a place where I, where I actually thought my survival was in jeopardy
1: yeah yeah i'll be honest the first time i ever turned on a computer in my own home i was as afraid as if it had been a snake right in my face yep. i i didn't know why it was completely irrational but i i was intuiting the magnitude and i think people are intuiting the magnitude and the magnitude is beyond our comprehension it's yep. simply beyond our comprehension and i don't know if you know this story it's one of my favorite stories i think it might be an urban legend but i, I like it anyway at the turn of the century, you've got New York city, city planners, and they're worried about, you know, population, it's just a terrible population issue. And they, they have a guy come in and he says, don't worry about it, it you know, we'll be able to uh, limit it by the amount of, you know, horse crap we can get out of the city, right? And of course the automobile was just about to come around the corner and, and change everything, you know, and we're kind of the horse now, Right now, (laughs) and we don't know what that displacement is going to look like we don't know what we're going to do with people there's just so many unknowns why would you be anything but afraid in the face of that much unknown but it's also possible and we also have a very low threshold of trust right now in our fellow humans and so the idea that somebody else is creating this the idea that they want to make a buck more than they want to survive. I mean, those are all projections as well. So you pull those back again and you say, what if some really cool, amazing human beings who've thought about this for much longer, I've been in this for five years, thought about this much longer than the general population and who do care about survival and who do love their family and who also have to answer to the board and all of those kinds of things. What if, what if they actually have some really cool, cool stuff in mind that can actually solve some of our most human intractable problems. I mean, humans kind of at this point, we've exhausted our will to change in in a grand way. For example, climate and other things. Our emotions get in the way. Well, what if a machine can be smart enough to actually not be biased. If we can program it to not be biased, it'll be less biased than me as a human being with an entire history. So all of those things are things that kind of come through my mind when I look at it all. And I think, yeah, how can I use this for the better? How can I be excited about this? What are the possibilities? And I've been thinking about possibilities for a really long time. So back with VR, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if you could have have a VR situation where a young girl who doesn't have any real family support, doesn't have a great situation, doesn't have any role models to look up to, could have a VR experience with three big brothers that are protective, that are instructive, that are, you know, helping her. And of course, you have to worry about what they're programming and all of that. But wouldn't that be an amazing experience to have if you don't have anything else? Yeah. And those kinds of scenarios, at least as a, as a fiction writer, I think about those things. How could we be better? How could we be better than human?
0: Hmm. And I guess that, that's sitting in the space of inquiry and uncertainty. It's like, I'm just, there could be a hundred things that, that come here, but for some reason, we tend to want to land on the one very, very quickly because we're time poor and a whole lot of other things that, that go on. How can uncertainty be used as a powerful leadership tool?
1: I think embracing it and saying, look, we don't know as, you know, not I don't know, but we don't know Mm. is really powerful because then we are in a position of choice. We are in a position of moving forward together in a way that we decide. And it's just a new, it's an entirely new paradigm. So taking that out, I've been teaching online for years and I really stepped back from that People wanted to call me a spiritual teacher, and I have rejected that from the very beginning, although technically you could probably put me in that category, right? But I had no interest in being a guru. I had no interest in taking on someone else's power, any of those things, right? I wanted to be effective, but I didn't want that. And I found that people really wanted me to take that role. They wanted me, and then they got mad so they could get mad at me when I didn't do what they thought I was going to do (laughs) all of that. So... So I think coming in and saying, look, and I did this, I am a human being with flaws. I know you're going to hope I'm not because you hope you can become like you imagine I might be someday, but we're going to be human beings with with flaws together. And that means that we're going to be in this together. And we know that we do better together. We know that we do better with other people.
0: I get surprised that I shouldn't when I will say something in a room full of people where I'm facilitating, like, things are going to go wrong today. Things yeah. aren't going to go as they should go. Something might not work. You might get stuck on some words. Or I don't use much PowerPoint, but let's say, for instance, that the PowerPoint doesn't work. Right. And that's okay, because I love what you said. It. We should embrace that we are flawed human beings, and that the more we try to be perfect, and I do ask people this question, how's perfectionism going for you? And no one's ever said, well, thanks. <laughs> the more that we can embrace the fact that today won't go exactly like it should have gone, in my mind that it should have been this, I think the more we step into we step into our leadership. And just thinking about that, how what are some simple, if there are such things and practical ways that individuals can find that that I guess call it the leadership courage or whatever we want to call it, to embrace that fear of uncertainty and ambiguity and not knowing?
1: I think that's what humility really is. Not false humility, but real humility to say, I have this position and yes, I am willing to take this responsibility. If I am a leader, I am in a position of responsibility and I'm willing to take that responsibility for better, for worse. That is courage too, to say, "I, I will take this. But in this, I'm still not going to be perfect and I need you to show up. I think one of the things you can offer is from a humility standpoint is if you designed everything in your life exactly as you wanted it to go and in your business and in everything else exactly as you wanted it to go, would it be better than if you left room for what I'll call the mystery, for something trying to happen that you couldn't see? How many times did something better happen than you were expecting because you had room for it? And so looking at that and expanding into that possibility, what's trying to happen? I'm very Taoist in that way, like, where you know, go where the door opens, yeah. right? And, and don't push it when it's closed and locked and all of that because you're just going to, you know, be frustrated. But allowing this idea that there's something better than what my singular mind can put out there is the greatest start. It's just like, wow, let's, let's see what's trying to happen. Let's see what happens when we have this particular group in the room making a decision as opposed to you know, the senior leader top-down or whatever. Let, let's open. And that's actually, that's what's real right now. When you're in a situation with a future where we have uncertainty at every single area of life, there's uncertainty and there's change. Transformation is trying to happen somewhere. That's our reality. So if you're still holding on to I know and I'm going to show up and tell them I know, you're not in reality.
0: The curse of rightness, I call it. I often talk to people about, I I get people to make judgments about me and something I do and they make judgments and then they all want to know if they're right. And I'm like, what do you want to know? Well, because I just want to know. I'm like, no, because you want to know you're right. And then you can tell someone else you're right. How often do we see people, particularly when it's like, well, this this is certainly what it is. And then someone else said, "Well, it's certainly not that. It's certainly this." And you get into a bloody debate, which usually is won by the person who's sitting highest in the organisation, yes. which takes away what you just said before—that opportunity just to sit with the mystery of leaving room for the mystery of what might be. Yeah. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, I'm paid for my intuition. I mean, I, that's probably not popular to say, but honestly, I'm paid for my intuition. You know, because I have, I have a. a a very broad capacity for looking at things and, and feeling, I, mm. you know, I'm in touch with my feeling. And so when I offer something to anyone, whether it be, you know, a single person or a group, I offer it with, and I could be wrong, right? I, I feel this, but I could be wrong. And I, we got to the point where, you know, People would almost fill in that sentence for me in, in class and things like that. It's like, I could be wrong. But the genuine truth is, I could be wrong. It's genuinely true. Yep. And if you allow for me being wrong, then we're not, again, in that narrow tunnel of this is what's going to happen. Because Robin's the intuitive one, and Robin said it was going to happen. And, you know, therefore it's going to happen. And, you know, if I tell you you're going to have three children, then, you know, you only have two, then you better get at it, right? Because <laughs> Robin <laughs> said you were going to have three children. Like, You know, no. But just staying in this I could be wrong with yourself as well. Okay, if I'm wrong, what happens? How threatening is that to me? Yeah. I'm sure you've you've done this work as well. Absolutely. Look,
0: I I think about what you said, it's really triggered me when you use the the word the F word feeling. So there seems to be a requirement in leadership historically to leave your feelings in the box at the front foyer in the building and then walk in and talk about what you think. I yes. think this and I think this. And it's like, well, how do you feel about it? It's like, well, no, I f- Even when you ask people, how do you feel? They go, I think. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah. I didn't ask you how you thought. So the relationship between embracing and accepting our feelings as part of this process, and, and then think about that from a leadership perspective, how important is it for us in this move to a more human way to start to accept our intuition and our feelings as a Is a powerful leadership tool?
1: So first of all, the knee-jerk reaction is that's scary. Because again, you'd have been ridiculed for it in the historical leadership. But if you can get past that, again, asking what's trying to happen, feeling into things, those kinds of things, you realize that you make better decisions. I mean, it, it can be very logical on the other side of it. You can look back and you can say, you know, was I going rogue or was I actually onto something? And I actually set up a training for my intuition early on and I, I clocked it. I clocked when I was right. And when I was wrong and and why I might have been right and wrong. And that's how I got good at it was being able to to see where my projections were. So I think starting with, I could be wrong, but I have a feeling. And I, I often like to distinguish between something I call a feeling and a knowing or an intuition and a knowing so an intuition is going to come through my body and my gut is going to churn, or my heart is going to race or my you know, it's going to, hair is going to stand up on my arm. That's an intuition. And um, when that's involuntary, I'm more likely to trust it as opposed to when I'm just kind of in my head and I think it's my body, but I'm actually in my head and that sort of thing. That's something you can also learn. But then there's this thing that just drops in and I call it a knowing. It's something you just know. Um, I just know I'm going to marry that person. Or I just know... I remember hearing the word Lisbon, where I live now, the first time. And I just went, that's important. And I could feel something about it that I had no way to know it was a long time ago that this was going to be important in my life. Um, same thing happened with Bitcoin, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to buy it. I was like, I need some of that. It was in <laughs> the very six sense days, you know. But I think in this realm, we move... I, at least when I work with leaders, I move slowly into this feeling, knowing place. And when you have a knowing, it just is, and you, you defend it to the death. That's different than an intuition. So learning, learning these nuances, which is something, you know, whoever taught you to, to train your intuition, very few people have it trained and, and I'm only good at it because I trained, you know, for 25 years or more.
0: Come on, you're not an overnight success at it. Like people be like, you're just an overnight success. Yeah, over, after 25 years. I can't remember a, a time where something that went really well for me that I wasn't, excuse my friends, absolutely shitting myself at the time that I was feeling into it going, this feels right, but it, geez, it's scary. It is so scary. Yeah. And then all of us, and you know, you go back and look over it and go, maybe that's the signal or maybe that's the sign for me that when things are right, it's, There's a level, there's such a level of discomfort I've got to sit in with that. Don't know.
1: Here's what I would throw into that mix. If it's logical, you don't need your intuition to kick in, Yep. right? If it makes sense in your head, you just go do it. You don't need to be, but the intuition kicks in as a kind of dissonance, intentionally a dissonance to say, wait a minute, you think it's this, but I, maybe it's that. And that dissonance is required for you to pay attention.
0: Yeah. Nice. I'm going to ask you this question now. I'm, I'm like, I don't know what, where this is going to go. But the question about simple, complex, complicated, um, I have a bit of a view that we do try and overcomplicate things. Not, not to say that the world's not complex, but I'm interested in your thoughts on, I call it pe- humans being romanced by the flame of complexity in the complicated. So they love warming their hands to it. Whereas sometimes yeah. there's the simple answers are, are, are right there in front of them. If you if have any thoughts about humans doing that, why do you think they do go towards the complex and the complicated?
1: I mean, we're designed for novelty, right? We're designed to seek novelty and that's that's how we grow. So that's one of the first things. We're bored and we know that we're in, in a holding pattern and we need to mix things up. I, I like to say that the soul is, is, a, is a chaos seeker. The soul doesn't only say, you know, I want to whatever, a deep, meaningful relationship and, you know, work that's satisfying and children that are happy. It also wants a little bit of, you know, colorful craziness, yep. <laughs> it wants the full realm of experience. So we're, we're drawn to it literally like the moths of the flame. We're drawn to this complexity, but I do think there's also a, a place of simplicity inside of us that we can retreat to when that gets too much.
0: Yeah. Nice.
1: That's where the simple to me is. It's a, it's a core in me that's just, I know who I am. That's it. And that, that's the simplicity for me.
0: Yeah, I love it. Thank you for that. Um, I, I'm just wondering then is, I wonder how many humans have lost touch with being able to access that simplicity within them.
1: Most as far as I can see. Yeah. Because yeah. it takes time. You say, you know, we're time poor. That is the worst possible thing you can do with your life is spend all your time on stuff that just doesn't matter. It's, it's the greatest poverty of our world today. Yeah. If you can sit and do nothing all day, and yes, I can. I can literally sit and be, it's, not, it's a rich time, right? It's a deep, rich inner time. But it doesn't disturb me anymore. And I had something else I had to practice. Mm. But to be able to sit, not, and I'm not, quote, unquote, meditating or, quote, unquote, con, I'm like, it's literally an open day. It's amazing what happens when you can just do that. And very few people are willing to give their time because they're so sure that all the things are necessary.
0: The, um, I call it the busy fool. The person who's go. busy fooling themselves that they're busy, looking for what's next, when they could just be. I like the idea that doing nothing is doing something. Like, Have
1: you written a book? Because I think all of these labels that you've got would make great chapters.
0: You know, I might go on to chat GPT and see if I could r- create some things. But yeah, look, I, I love the ability to, to sit and do nothing. At times when I've worked with clients, I'll just come onto the thing and I'll say nothing. And, I'll, and I did mm-hmm. that for 70 minutes one day. Yeah. And they all started talking virtually against each other. What's, what are we supposed to do? What do you reckon Mark wants us to do? And at the end, we just debriefed and I said, what happened? And they went, well, you didn't do anything. And I said, what do you mean? And then when you get underneath it or you get above it and you look in, you go, maybe I was creating space for other people to do things. Maybe I didn't want to be the authority. What have you learned from that as a leadership lesson rather than filling the space with five agenda points? So I think it's important that we, we, can, we can sit with that discomfort. Um, let's wrap it up with you sharing a little bit more about where can people – find out more about the great work you do? Because I know you've got your, you've got your conscious leadership newsletter. You've, they can sign up. Where can they sign up for that?
1: It's easiest to go to my profile on LinkedIn, and I've got links to it for there. Um, LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Robin Rice Consultant, R-O-B-I-N-R-I-C-E Consultant. Or you can easily find the newsletter itself at robinrice.com. There's a link at the top to go straight to the newsletter.
0: Fantastic. Um, I've been looking forward to this for six months since I first wrote it down after a certainty is death and I wrote down must do a podcast. I appreciate the fact <laughs> when I reached out, you came back to me really quickly and said, yeah, I'd love to be involved with that. And um, it's been a delight to talk to you, Robin. Thanks for coming on.
1: Likewise, Mark. Thank you.
0: wait Where do you start? Just a couple of things I want to uh, put there. I could be wrong. Leave room for mystery or leave room for the mystery that we're very, very narrow in our thinking and it is related to the fact that we've been brought up a certain way in leadership and one of those things is to not ever utter these three words, I don't know, and just some of what Robin shared today, how you can start to step into a bit more of your intuition but also stepping into the acceptance that uncertainty is okay. And that certainty is actually a way of just closing the door or narrowing the pathway on what's possible. So I'm not going to say much more than that, other than the fact that that was an incredible conversation. I am incredibly blessed and lucky to bump into human beings like Robin. Make sure You check out a Conscious Leadership newsletter. It it is amazing. And as I was in my first impressions, you will have an opportunity to learn from someone who's wise, curious, honest, bold, and very, very human. I'm going to reflect on this one for a while. But hey, while you're reflecting, reflect on whether you loved it or not. And if you did, give us a five-star rating if you wouldn't mind, and maybe some comments about why you loved it. They don't go unnoticed. And if you liked it, share it with your friends and, um, and maybe share it in a room at times where you're all sitting there thinking that you've got to come up with the answer straight away and you're not tapping into feelings, but you're just going straight to thinking. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical and keep it human. Bye for now.